interesting play. You know, I'll say this again. Most people don't reject Christ. They reject the church. And who's the church? What's the image that we portray? We've been walking through a series called Concept. And as we've been walking through this, you have a gentleman, for example, here that has a concept of what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a, quote, Christian. And, you know, it's interesting, even through Scripture, you have examples of what it means to be godly like the Pharisees. Only nobody ever liked being around a Pharisee. They'd, they'd cross the road to get on the other side if they saw a Pharisee coming down this way. Last week, we talked on concept and in, in reminding us that in this world today, our boundaries are being moved, we're being limited as far as who we are. We reminded you of relationship and, 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 and talked about the reality that God brings us, his desires to bring us into union with him. So we focused on the word lost. We talked about lost and what it means to be lost but what it means to be found. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is within, those, is within the framework of concept of lost and to focus in on one prime example that's found in Luke chapter 15. Now, in this chapter is all those lost things. You have the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, but it all heads up in the parable of the lost Son, And I want you to understand, <coughs> yeah, if you'd understand that, I'm sorry. I, I would like for you to understand a very strong, simple, basic principle. Please know that God has accepted you totally and absolutely. In fact, we spoke last week about our, our parts as far as receiving forgiveness, is our part is to accept our acceptance. God has accepted you totally and absolutely. God doesn't only love you, he, he kind of likes you as well. And he welcomes you and us into his family. And I find that unfortunately most Christians just don't understand that. They don't understand that part and that's a concept that they carry with them instead of a full understanding i want to read this passage of scripture on the lost son because it's one of those parables that you know it's it's so well known let's face it you know this parable and there are a lot of people who have never even read the bible but they know the story about the son and the truth is that when you get a piece of scripture like this I'm always afraid because it means that we've heard it so many times that we really don't no longer hear it. So I'm asking you today to pretend that you've never heard it before and let's read it. And what I'm asking you to do is just simply absorb it, okay? Beginning with verse 11 of chapter 15, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, 
journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, everyone say came to himself. Yeah, look at what he said. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will go, I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when, he's, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him, put out a, and, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. Now, there's a lot of other verses that continue on from here, but we'll deal with them some other time. The parable here is teaching us how God accepts us and welcomes us into his family as sons. So, right from the very beginning, I want to get things straight. I want to, first of all, lay down some understanding. The expression that is used here that the, sons wants, that the son wants his share of property that falls to him, that, that was a legal formula, okay? If you go to some of the letters and documents that are in the... That are in the that are current in the New New Testament times at that point, you'll find that that specific expression is used often by lawyers and children. It was a legal formula by which a father was asked to put his inheritance into the hands of his children. Now, normally, once that was done, the child still couldn't touch it, so the father would divide the inheritance but he was still the boss of the house. And, and, and it was just that the children knew what they were getting. If, if you are interested in understanding that, it's back there in Deuteronomy 21, verse 17. It tells you how it all works. But what it meant was the eldest son would get two-thirds of the property, property. And so in this case, the younger son would get one-third of the property, and his older brother would get to two-thirds. Normally, I, I say that because it meant that the father still owned everything. He still looked over it, watched it, worked it. And, and as a result, the sons would work for him. But they would know that the younger brother was getting a third while the older brother was getting the two-thirds. And they would work that property because it's coming to them in the end. What is in, very unusual about this story is that the younger son demands his one-third of the property while daddy's still alive. It did sometimes happen, okay? But it was very, very unusual. 
So understand what it meant. It meant that I'm taking my third now. And you two chumps, okay, you, you work with each other for the other two-thirds. I'm going to enjoy my now, and I'm going, and I'm not, I'm not going to invest anything in my older brother's inheritance. So the father goes along with that. Now note, I always find it interesting to bring this up, that there is no record of any outburst of anger. There is nothing to suggest that the boy leaves in disgrace. The father comes to us as this incredibly gentle, gracious man, and he gives him the third of the property that was his. Normally speaking, at his father's death, he would normally get it, but no, he gives it to him. Plus, it becomes very obvious a few days later what the boy is going to do with the money. He packed his bags, and he left for a distant country. J.B. Phillips' translation says that he squandered his wealth in the wildest extravagance. In other words, the boy's going to live it up. And, and as, he, as, as he does, he'll spend all his money like some of our kids do today. And, 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 and at that time, understand something here. At that time that that boy is out there spending, doing what he's doing, the wheels of God are going to begin to grind. Have you ever noticed, honestly, how those wheels grind slowly? God seems to let us go to the full limit of our leash almost, and then those wheels begin to grind. It says then that when he had spent all of his money, there was a famine in the land. Have you ever reached that point with circumstances and situations that you're like, God, couldn't you have sent that famine while I had money in the land? Well, it, it doesn't work that way. So understand, God is on this guy's tail. Goodness and mercy are following him all the days of his life. Goodness means the famine and empty pockets. That's the good news of God. He's going to squeeze you into the kingdom. So the famine comes, and this guy is starving. He's gotten about as skinny as I am. Okay? And, and those friends, I, I mean, he, you know, as he's living up, he, he, <laughs> they've all gone, man. They've disappeared. It says that he went and joined himself to a farmer of that country, and he was sent into the fields to do what? Feed the swine. Now, understand what that says to us. Again, this guy's a Jew. If you read back in Leviticus, one of the unclean animals, in fact, one of the ones that tops the list of unclean animals was the pig. No Jewish person who wanted to continue walking in covenant with God could ever be involved in pig farming. Couldn't do it. Even if you touched a pig, you don't even have to feed it. Just touch it. You've touched an unclean animal, and thus you, you become unclean in the courts of God of Israel. So you have to, you know, go now and repent and go through the ritual of cleansing. You've touched the unclean. 
the pig sort of comes out on top of the unclean animals because all the others you really don't bother with. You know, it says that you don't eat owls. Anybody got an appetite for an owl? We don't eat owls. I mean, who's going to eat? Well, but <clears throat> pulled pork, bacon, barbecue rib, 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 ribs. Now, those can be tempting. But Je Jesus zeroes in on this. He goes, he feeds the pigs, and he has now come under the curse of the law. Notice in, in the first chapter 15 here that he's speaking to who? The Pharisees. They looked upon themselves as the holy of the holies. They were as separated unto, I mean, nobody is as separated unto God like, like we are. No one kept the law like we do. And that was when all tax collectors and Sinners gathered around Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble, and they say that this man receives sinners and eats with them. And at that point, now Jesus begins to give this parable of how God is seeking out the lost. If you don't think you're lost, Pharisees, then obviously you don't know what I'm talking about here. So he gives these parables just for the sake of these Pharisees and the comfort sinners. What's interesting to me when I look at this parable is that the pigs had enough to eat. Hello? The boy is feeding the pigs, and he didn't have enough to eat. So it's not only that he's at the pits feeling the cursed pigs, but the pigs are counted as more valuable than he is. They're getting fed. He isn't. In other words, he's at the very bottom. A Jewish boy feeding an unclean animal, and the unclean animal is being counted as being more worth than he is. Whoa. It's a perfect picture of every one of us in the condition of sin. It's the picture of living under the curse. Man is a sinner. That's the way he's born. It's not because he did something wrong. He's a bad boy. It's the way we're born. We're born separated from God. We're born into the fall of man to begin with. And that fall of man, because of that gap, that gap, that separation is called sin. That's what sin is. And so man is a sinner, but now I'm confronted with the law. And to break the law literally brings me under a double curse is what it does. You see, I'm wrong with God because I'm separated from him. I'm a sinner. All the way from man to Moses, man was separated from God. His condition was sin. But now the law comes and shows me I'm a sinner. So it's as if I know I'm wrong, but then the law comes and turns all the lights on in the basement, and I can see how dirty it really is. You know, it's like in the morning when you're sitting there, and the sun's coming through your window. And as that sun comes through your window and hits onto your furniture and your carpet and your floor, you see how dusty it really is. 
So man is judged because he's a sinner, but at the same time, he now comes under the curse of the law. Man stands before God guilty, no way of changing, and the curse is written across his life. I think we sometimes need to reevaluate our understanding of the goodness of God. Amen? Sometimes the goodness of God actually looks like the reverse of the goodness of God. It's like the ten plagues of Egypt, if you remember them. They were really the goodnesses of God. Have you ever thought of them like that? I mean, if you woke up in the morning and you found your kitchen covered with frogs, and every time you open the oven, frogs jumped out. And when you begin to climb into your bed, squish. I mean, but that's what the Bible says happened. It says they were in bed and in a lot of other places as well. You would hardly think that that's the, you know, the goodness of God. But it was the goodness of God because they worshipped frogs, okay? And, and simply saying, God's looking at them and saying, really? Seriously? Look, I control frogs. I make them do what I want them to do. So worship them? Really? I'm the God to worship. That was his goodness. And every one of those plagues, as it devastated Egypt, was pulling the mask off of their gods and showing them that they were no gods at all. It was God's goodness, but it didn't feel like that. But it was the goodness of God, the goodness of God leading to repentance. So every cold, miserable morning when this boy who's now been reduced to rags, he hasn't had anything to eat, probably not even, doesn't even get a cup of coffee. I mean, that's bad. Goes into the barnyard to smell of those pigs. And he looks at those pods that he holds in his hands. It's food for the pigs. And he so wanted to stuff his mouth with them that I believe he was too afraid of his boss. So he stands there. He's shivering. He's feeding the pigs. And his stomach is hurting with hunger. And, and suddenly you got this big porker that comes and pushes his snort up on his leg. And he's just standing there as the pigs go on. <laughs> And everything he was brought up in and the smell of those pigs told him that he was of the curse of the law. He felt unclean. He smelled unclean. The whole place that he was in was unclean. Every time that the temperature went down another degree, I want you to know it was the goodness of God saying, go home, go home. With every pod that he threw to the pigs for every pain in his stomach, it was a little still voice of God saying, have you had enough now? Are you ready to just go home? Every hog that bumped into him was the finger of God saying, go home, go home. I'm saying that because it may be that there's somebody in your life, somebody in your family that you've been praying for, for years, and it seems that they've just gotten further and further away. And I, I, want, I mean, you look at them in, in their situation right now that they're in, and you're in despair. 
I, I, I believe that if, you know, if his father could have seen him then, he probably would have given up. My, my son, he's gone to be a, a pig farmer. My son, he's gone to the bottom of uncleanness. I, I give up. The truth was, his son was closer to home than he'd ever been in his life. Please understand that. So I, I say that because very simply, your loved one might seem how far from the kingdom of God. They might be surrounded by hogs, okay? And to be in their presence, they might even smell like hogs, unclean, cursed. But remember, every hog is one step closer to home. Every time they put the pods into the hog pen, how much closer to coming home are they? Understand, I'm, I'm going to say something a little rough here, but hear me. Don't close me off. God is ever bringing us to faithfulness. But listen, faith cannot operate in an atmosphere of independence. I'll say that as strongly as I can and then explain myself. Faith cannot operate in an atmosphere of independence. Listen. If I can handle life, believe me, it will not be handled in faith. God is ever walking us into new areas of helplessness so that we'll throw up our hands and say, I can't do it. I'm done. I'm finished. I mean, if you can do it, what do you need God for? Look, realize that Jesus said, blessed are the who? Poor in spirit, for theirs is what? I like what one version says. It says, it says Jesus said, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. That's an incredible statement. God is ever walking us into helplessness, ever bringing us into a situation that this son was in. And then the scripture says he came to himself. Wow. To me, that's an incredible expression. He came to himself. Ever been in that place where you suddenly come to yourself? It, it's, it's as if there walked into my life the Holy Spirit and he presents me with a folder that says, this is your life. I have come to myself. I have to really see who I really am. And it means getting past all of what other people say about me. If you could get into the head of this guy, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people who said a lot of good things about him. I mean, let's face it. If you've got a million dollars to spend, they're going to say a lot of nice things about you. Amen? Hmm. you got to get beyond that. He's not the great guy that everybody else thought he was. How many people live their lives, and that's what they're looking for in life, for people to... He's got to get past all these thoughts that he had about himself. I think I'm good. I think I'm great. I'm glad I'm not like my older brother. I'm better than he is anyways. That mean, vinegar-faced religious person. I mean, 
I'm, I'm a broad-minded person. I, 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 I give my money away. I believe in having a good time. And God, with every hog, stripped it all aside. This, this man now sees, now stands, and he sees himself. Friend, understand me when I say this. This is the heart of all sin. When you bring sin down to its lowest common denominator, it is saying, I, number one, hold center stage. I am the most important. No one else really counts. You might think I'm talking about someone else and not you, but listen. This is the heart of sin. You do realize that unless... Unless we think we're number one, we wouldn't be capable of envy, jealousy, anger, and rage. Oh, I'll say that again because it's not on the screen, but unless you think you're number one, I mean, unless you think of, 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 of you're number one, you wouldn't be capable of envy, jealousy, anger, and rage. They all arise out of the thinking that I'm number one. You pursue that. Every sin in the human race is and has existence and body because I think I'm number one. Look, the beginning of repentance is that I come to myself. I see self just for what it is. And instead of Standing and basking in I am number one, believing I should be number one, I come to myself and I see that there's that that that, that statement's really that reality is is nothing more than a lie from the pit of hell. I'm not number one. All of us are number twos. Jesus is number one. And that's the beginning of repentance, friend. You see, the word repentance, don't don't confuse it. You might think. A lot of different thoughts when I use the word repentance, but some people think of repentance as having to do something that I don't want to do in order to pay off a debt. Well, it's not penance, okay? Penance, in fact, penance doesn't even occur in the Bible. Hello? That's one for you. Repentance is not feeling really sorry. How many times have you seen people around going, right? They can really cry. So we say, oh, man, there was really repentance. Is repentance being sorry for sin? That's, that, uh, that is one part of repentance, but it's not the beginning of it. It comes later. The beginning of repentance, it's the Greek word metanoia. Okay, and that literally means to change your mind. Metanoia. And I come to myself and I, I see myself as I really am. And quite frankly, I might not be sorry about it, but I've seen it. And I'm stuck now. I've seen truth. And maybe, you know, I've got some lead feet. And I might be sorry, sorry that I've got to change even, but not sorry that I did it. But as I come to myself, and there's been a metanoia, a change of mind, I, I turn around. How many are familiar with the name C.S. Lewis, right? Two of you. 
Oh, my goodness. Where have you guys been? C.S. Lewis was the great atheist who became a Christian. And in his testimony, the day of his conversion, he said, I was the most reluctant convert in the whole of London. He had seen that Jesus is the Son of God. So he said, what can I do? i got to become a Christian. In fact, I would recommend... Uh, the movie, it's, it's C.S. Lewis, The Most Reluctant Convert. It's a movie you can watch on streaming. It's out there. It's a great, it's all about C.S. Lewis's life as a kid growing up, so forth, him coming to Christ. But understand, repentance came later in the sense of sorrow. That was the beginning of true repentance, a change of mind. I've turned around, in other words. I've seen truth, and now I've got to follow up on that truth. So this boy came to himself. He's had a change of mind. Now, what impresses me about this repentance is how it actually began. He didn't hear a sermon. Okay? Bad boy returns home. Message this week at Ravenna Assembly. Of God. No. I, 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 he was hungry. That's how it began. He was, how many, how many, how, he said, how many hired men of my father have bred enough to spare, and I'm perishing with hunger. What kind of dummy am I? I'll, I'll get up and return to my father. So the beginning of his turn, his, his, the beginning of his return was not based on, 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 on doctrine. Okay? It, it wasn't, it was based on a very real physical need. And if you go back in your spiritual history, when you came to the Lord, I doubt very much if you came in a classical theological fashion. I wonder how many that are sitting here this morning sat down one day and said, I have fallen short of the glory of God, and for the glory and honor of God, I will now return. I don't think so. My belly was rumbling. That's why I came home. I was hungry. How, how many have, have really kind of selfishly looked at sin and said, I don't want to go to hell? That, that, and that is a, 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 a miserable reason for coming to God, to be honest with you. You don't want to go to hell, so you take God's offer. Hallelujah. It's a little selfish. Truth is, your belly was rumbling. Hello? How many others heard that, you know, when people were, were prayed for, they were healed, and, 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 and you're, you, you were sick, so you said, here's the deal, I'll go get a healing from God. <laughs> it might be selfish, but that's God. He will grab you in your rumbling stomach. You came for one reason, and God got you for a totally other. He didn't show you the fine prints. In fact... They lied to me. They kept singing a song that if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. Guess what? It's not all joy, is it? See, what I'm saying is we come for a very selfish reason, and God grabs us right there and brings us to a place of understanding to what really happened to us at that time. And this guy, this boy, very rapidly begins to move to a higher level. There, there's, there's, that's, I mean, that's huge. First of all, it's hunger. 
Secondly, he says, I'll prepare a little speech. I'll say it to my, to my dad. And he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Hey, that's, a, that's huge. Hunger says go. That was the final stab of God's goodness. But once he makes the step, things begin to happen or open up inside his head. And he says, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Notice he did not say, which I would have expected him to say, he didn't say, I've lost the fortune. I'm, I'm penniless. I'm broke. I'm, I'm coming home because I, I, I need money. He never mentions money or the inheritance that he's lost. It doesn't mention it. He's moved beyond that, and his repentance is genuine repentance. He doesn't say what he's lost. He says what I've done. What has he lost? He lost the inheritance. What, I, I mean, he never mentions it. What has he done? I have sinned against God and, in, and against you. That's repentance. It's a change of mind about myself and about my relationship to God. That's what it is. Where before, you know, I, I thought God was asking a little too much, you know. And now I say, no, he, he wasn't because my condition, I'm a sinner. And he turns toward home, not only because he had a revelation of himself, but he turns toward home because he has a remembrance of his father. He goes home because of, obviously, father's character. He said, what am I doing here? My father treats his hired servants better than I'm getting treated. So I'll go home, and I'll become a hired servant, and then I'll be treated better than what I'm being treated now, that's for sure. So he's going home based exclusively on the father's character because my dad is the way he is. He's good, he's gentle, he's kind, he's forgiving, and I know that if I go home, I'll get treated better as a hired servant than I do now. We came to Jesus for this very same reason. We saw ourselves as we really were. And we had a glimmer of light concerning the character of God. And based on what we saw of God, what little we knew, he was good. He was kind. He was love. I see myself. I, I see God. And I'm going home. So he comes with his little prepared speech. Kind of neat because of the way he wrote the whole thing out. I, I think I do the same thing. If I went off and spent half of my dad's fortune, I come home and I smell like a pig. I got no shoes on my feet because I sold them to be a slave. I mean, here you come, a vagabond on the side of the road. And, and you got your little speech. Dad... I've sinned against heaven, against God, against you. I know what kind of a person you are. Would you make me one of your hired men? That's all I ask. Forgive me and make me one of your hired men. Now, that's a big step down, bigger than you think. You see, there were two classes of workers on farms in Israel. The first one was a servant. And if you were a servant... You lived on the property, and you had and lived in servant quarters. 
He would be fed daily, guaranteed from the owner's table. It was a good position to be in if you were servants. But notice, he said, you have make me a what? A hired servant. Understand that a hired servant has no relationship to the family at all. He was on call, a hired servant. So if it's harvest time, he's got a job every day. But if it's winter, he can be out of work, period. While he's on the property, he does get fed. But off the property, <laughs> he goes hungry. Well, the boy didn't say, let me become one of your servants, because that would meant, let me come back in, at least into the family environment, to the family compound. Let, let me have a daily handout from the, from the family table. No, he says, I'm not worthy of that. He says, I'm coming back, crawling on a lower level. Forgive me. Just, just make me a hired man. If you need help, Dad, uh, uh, would you think of me first, okay? Because I know that at least on that day, I'll get a good meal. Forgive me, but I, I couldn't begin to ask for a place in the family or have anything to do with the family. You remember the father sees him at a distance, a way off? I mean, that... That shows me the father has been watching every day for years, watching the horizon, the only road that comes out or back from that country. And, and even though the kid is now just a, a vagabond, I mean, there's, there's something about the way he walks. And, and even in his just this, this silhouette that's on the road, dad knows this silhouette. And he runs and grabs him, and the Greek says that he kissed him all over repeatedly. And I want Mike to know you're safe this morning. I'm not going to do that. The boy says, Dad, 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 just, just a minute, Dad. I've got this letter I want to read to you. Dear Dad, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you. And as, as, he, as he's just about to say, make me one of your hired servants. Dad grabs it, rips it up, throws it away. Dad would not even let him say, make me one of your hired men. He freely forgives. But he says, just a minute. Before we go any further, he calls one of his, his slaves that he brought with him. And he says, you go back to the house and bring to here the very best coat out of my wardrobe and a good pair of shoes. And he says, butcher the fatted calf because there's going to be a big family party tonight. I like big family parties. How about you? It means big fatty people around a bunch of fatty food. Ever thought about why he did that, though? Why didn't he just take the boy back to the house and let him choose the coat? out of the bedroom wardrobe. Well, I mean, why not? I mean, let me tell you. He was a forgiven boy, but he didn't smell like it, nor did he look like it. The father, just, just by looking at him, any, I mean, any Jew could pick up the smell of a pig for five yards away, okay? I, I mean, he knew where the boy had been. He knew what he was dealing with, and that was a cursed boy who had gone off to the pits of Jewish uncleanness. He, he knew that. He was forgiven. 
but he didn't look forgiven. <laughs> he didn't smell forgiven. Hello, somebody. Supposing the father had taken the boy through the village, right? Taking him up to the ranch. Everyone in the village would have gone, aha, look at him. Know where he's been? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I smell smoked pork chops. The farmhands would have looked at him and said, ha-ha, oh, how the rich do live. See what he's come to? Judgment, judgment, judgment. Father says, no, 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 no. It's between you and me. It's between you and me. I know where you've been. And I forgive you. And I forgive you freely and fully. So I'll send and, and he'll bring the coat back and you put it on. And when you walk through the village, no one will know where you've been. No one will know what you've gotten into. You will look just like me. Wow. Do you see what the Father's doing? That's forgiveness. In the New Testament, they call it justification. I don't know where you've come from. I don't know the pits that you've come from. God knows. But he's never told anybody, has he? If anyone knows, it's because you wrote a book and told them. And, and I, 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 I say this honestly. If God doesn't want to share it, why should you? I don't, I don't want to know where you come from. I want to know where you are. Listen. When God pardons, he not only pardons, but he dresses us just like himself. Oh, I love that. Justification. You have been pardoned of every sin that you ever committed, and then you are clothed in the righteousness of God. And what does that mean in plain English? It means you are accepted by God as if you had never sinned. You stand before God with demons and angels looking on as if there was never sin in your life. You are accepted as Jesus. You know, there's, there's a, a true story that's, that's told. It's about a, a sheep that's born on a, on a sheep farm. And, 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 the, and the mother died when the sheep was born. So he tries and he tries to take the sheep to another mother and is rejected by that mother because it's not her sheep. For you. And so the farmer feeds it for a few days, and then the reverse actually happens. There was a lamb that died when it was being born. So what does the shepherd do? He quickly took the lamb and he skinned it and he made a coat for the orphaned lamb, and he takes that lamb with a coat that he's wrapped around it of the dead lamb to the mother of that dead lamb. Mother sniffs it. It was hers. She smelled her, her lamb and immediately accepted that you. And within a week, he took the coat off and, and he, was, he was accepted. That's justification. 
mother sheep had been fooled, and she thought that was her little lamb. With God, it's different. I mean, he's the one who starts this. He sent the lamb into the world, and his lamb died and gave me his coat, and now God the Father accepts me as if I were Jesus himself. I'm welcome home. I have the right kind of coat. But God's not fooled, friend, for he initiated that. Listen, I'm accepted, not only pardoned, but clothed with the righteousness of God. Can somebody say amen? That, that might be, in my book, the reference in Isaiah 61, where it says that we receive the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And, 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 and if you just, just take a look at that one, it says very simply, uh, as soon as I find it on my... Oh, there it is. To counsel those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of mourning, the oil of joy for mourning. I'll stop right there. Remember those phrases because I want to explain them. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You can go on. The planning of the Lord that he may be glorified, a ring throughout the Bible. Oh, no, I'm reading your part. I'm sorry. Uh, get to that in a second. What you just read is a picture. Now, it's... it's <laughs> It's definitely dealing with the prophecy of, of, of Christ, but it, it, is, it is a picture, if you will, from an Eastern funeral home. And when they have a funeral, they put ashes in their hair. They clothe themselves in, in black and in utter misery. And in Isaiah 61, it describes someone walking into the funeral home, and it says they put oil on their face. And gives them beauty for ashes. Takes all the ashes out of their hair. And it says a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What I'm saying is we sat in the funeral parlor of this world. And Jesus came in. The upsetter of funerals. He comes in and takes off all the garments of my guilt. And shame. And he puts on the garment of praise. And I can now walk with him through the village. I am seen by him. Seen as wearing the very same garment that he is wearing. And it means that you are somebody. That, that, that best robe in the east. I mean, they, they, they had a lot more emphasis on, on clothing than we do. I mean... Take Joseph, for example, the coat of many colors. And, and we have been given, friend, you and I have been given the coat of, righteous, of, the, of, of right, the righteousness of Christ. Not only accepted by the Father, but in this world, we are number one. We are number one. Now, do you really believe that about yourself? Because I, I look at some of you and you walk around with your face hung down and all the problems and this isn't working out and... My past is always coming up to haunt me. You should go get yourself a spiritual mirror. Yeah. That shows the kind of coat you're wearing. Look at it every day and say, this is who I am in Christ. This is what I've been made, pardoned, given the garment of praise, made a number one child of God. That is who I am. Then he takes the ring off his finger, gives it to the boy. The ring in Bible days, I know you're familiar with this part. You know, that was a credit card, right? 
you would wear the ring, you go into the store, and when you got your stuff, you took off the ring, you put it down to the wax, and that was your stamp, and it was saying that you'd be, you know, you pay for it at the end of the week. So, so when the father gave him the ring, he was giving him the credit card. I don't understand it. I mean, the kid did squander the family income, and you know, I'd be like, I'll show you forgiveness, kid. You need a tooth of toothpaste? Huh. Well, you're going to have to, you know, give me an account of that tube of toothpaste before you can ask me for $3.97 for a tube of toothpaste. That's not who this father was. He, he says, here's my credit card. When you get yourself on your feet, great, he's saying to his son. But until then, you know, here's my credit. Use it as if it's yours. When we come to the Lord Christ Jesus, not only does, uh, not only, he not only wipes out all of our sin, he gives us the name of Jesus. We just got done singing that. And he said, whatever you ask in my name, it's yours. He gave us infinite, eternal credit card of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, it's yours. In the spirit, you wear the ring of the Father. You wear the Lord Jesus' Christ's name. But also, now you can end up with your notes here. I'm finishing up. A ring throughout the Bible speaks of authority in terms of power of attorney. In other words, you speak on behalf of another, okay? You remember Joseph? What did Pharaoh do? He took off his ring. He gave it to Joseph. And, 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 and what happened? He said, Joseph, you can speak as if you are Pharaoh. You are given the power of attorney. The ring always spoke of that, friend. The boy is taken into the family. So much so, from now on, son, you can talk as if you're me. And when I address the father, understand something. When I address the father, it's as if, Jesus is addressing the Father. Oh, come on. It's as if, hmm, the sh mm, mm, I can't get past this one. It, when I address the Father, the Father, it's as if Jesus is addressing. I have the ring. I have it placed. I have the coat of righteousness. Mm -hmm. mm, sorry. I get pumped at this. The shoes, slaves don't wear shoes, only free men wear shoes. So the boy is given shoes, that is, you are reinstated into my family. So come home, not as a hired man, not as a servant. You come home with a son with shoes on your feet. We have come not to be hired men, friend. I think so many believers have that hired man mentality. They can't believe they are welcomed into the family as if they were the Lord Jesus, but you are. <coughs> you got a good robe on you, the righteousness of God. You have the ring of the name of Jesus, and you are now a child of God, and it's for real. He's put his spirit inside you. It wasn't that you were just called a child of God. You are a child of God. Can somebody say amen? And he says, kill the fatty calf. I shouldn't talk to you about food right now, right? I understand that. 
In the Greek, it's very strong in its wording. It, it says, it is absolutely necessary that we do this and have a feast. It's necessary. When you come to know the Lord Jesus, it is necessary that all of heaven rejoice over you. That blows my mind. It is necessary to rejoice over us with singing that we have come home, that we are now part of the family. This is who you are, friend. You are justified. God just, look, get, get used to the lamb coat, okay? The fur of the lamb of God is all around you, and you are accepted as if you were him. You are blessed in heavenly places, welcomed home. You are given the ring of the Lord Jesus. You are received as a full son in God's family, and you are swept into this necessary joy and, and rejoicing. Now, that's who you are. Can somebody say amen? Don't dare. Don't dare go home and pray that that might be. Because you are that if you've come to Christ. Look, I find so many Christians who continually pray to become who they already are. That's frustrating. Because you are who you are. So stop praying to become who you are. Just thank God that you are who you are. That concept that has stopped you and blocked you with limitations and lies. You are who you are. Not because of what you say, but because of what he has said and what he has done. Can you say amen to that? Can you give God praise this morning? One of these days I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to bring you the elder son. And that won't be pretty. Would you stand with me this morning? Hmm. Would you sing with me this song? Oh, you can leave the lights on. Thank you. I can see. Appreciate it. What is raging at my feet? I can feel the breath of those surrounding me. I can hear the sound of nations rising up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can walk down this dark and painful road. I can face every fear of the All God's children singing out, we will not be overtaken, we will not be overcome. Huh. Here we go. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us. The same. Power 
thank you for your word this morning and I thank you for what you have been speaking into our hearts God we speak to the mountains that have moved to the border pits that have attempted to change the limits and we say know who I am in you. You live in us. With your head's bowed this morning. I, I just need to ask this. Because you're here in this house and I don't take it by chance. But in this place here this morning, While word's been going forth, you've been fighting it with everything you've got in you. But you cannot escape the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. And 
all that you're going through and all that you're continuing to go through is just simply saying, go home. What more is it going to take? What more is it going to happen? I mean, you're standing there in the middle of all that. Go home. Know who your father is. He's got a coat to wrap around you. It has nothing to do with what you've done and what you've been, but where you're at right now in him. This morning... Yeah, he's standing there looking for you to come down that road. And as you draw to him, he's going to run to you. Because this morning when you say yes, yes to him. He comes into our lives, puts a coat on us, a ring on our finger, shoes on our feet, throws a party. Thy son, who once was dead, is now alive. But you see, it came to a choice. And I believe you're standing here, not by chance, but in a choice this morning, in a place of choice where God is speaking into your life. But it's a choice that we make we make that choice, he makes that change. But it requires choice. And I'm asking if you're in this place here this morning, and you're saying yes to him, I'm going to ask you to affirm that. I'm going to ask you right where you stand. I mean, I know, okay, it isn't me. Really feel I gotta really do this. No, you don't. I'm just asking you to put a an action to your choice. When you choose to turn around, then you gotta turn around. It's not called a good intention. It's a choice. But if you're here this morning and that's the choice you're making to say yes to Father's forgiveness, would you write where you're standing? Just Slip up your hand real quick and put it down. I just want to pray for you right where you stand. Right where you stand. Is that you? It's the biggest choice. It's the, it takes a gut of courage. But it's a choice that you're called to make this morning. Is that you? Well, just affirm that with enough where you stand. I'm saying yes. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you this morning for hearts and lives. Lord, let me pray, first of all, for believers in this place that really don't go much further than a very low level of understanding of who they are in you. And they walk trying to be good. They walk trying to pay off some debt. Lord, here this morning, let them know who they are, the family they are in. Let them know the coat that's wrapped around them and the love that's shed abroad in their hearts through the Holy Spirit.
God, let us get out of the justification mode of our heads and into the justification of your spirit, of what Jesus has done for us. Holy Spirit, I ask that this be a day of change in believers' lives. But I also pray that for those who raised their hand this morning, this is a day of change in their lives. Come home. Come home not to be rebuked, not to be told how bad they've been, not be told all that they did wrong. And that No, they've come home to be loved to be restored, to be healed, to be set free, to matter. So Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name, they will be surrounded by this understanding, this leading of the Holy Spirit that brings them to a place they have never dreamt of as they walk this walk and are whole fact, if you're in this place this morning, you raised your hand, pray this prayer with us. I'm not asking you to repeat a prayer so it'll make you right, but I'm asking you to pray from your heart, and we're just leading you in that moment. So would you pray it with us? Jesus, thank you for loving me. I ask you to come into my life Clothe me, restore me, live in me, save me, forgive me. Jesus, thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can somebody give him praise this morning? Can somebody say, Pastor, you really went along this morning. You know that? Yeah, you know, I fought with that because I knew what I had. But I also know that this is probably the only time for a lot of you, you actually get taught. God said, teach him. Let him know. So I did. So I won't apologize. Hope to see you back next week. But here's my one heart, and that is, these altars are open. And you know what? If God's dealing with the way you've been walking with Him, thinking, living, it's limited you. It's all about you. God wants us to find that place of restoring, of renewing. You know what starts? It starts here. Stults in an altar. And this morning, if you raised your hand and said yes to Christ, I'm asking you to come with them as well. And let's find a place of prayer on these altars. There's others that are going to want to pray with you, for you. Nobody's going to intrude on you. But this morning, let's make it that place where Jesus speaks. So as the worship team sings this song, I invite you, let's find that place of prayer. I just want to speak
Cheers. 
rich I remember who I was I was lost I was blind I was running out of time sin separated the breach was far too wide but from the far side of the chasm you held me in your side so you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owe, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time I I'm sorry. 